I could tell myself, yeah, I've done the work. Um, you know, I, I got to just go do what I can control. Mm-hmm. And if that's good enough, then cool. It's good enough. I could say it, but I didn't believe it. Yeah. Well, now that- I've internalized. I can believe it that, you know, I, you know, just the circumstances of everything and, and me and my, you know, I'm, I'm me. I've got a different mind than everybody else, you know. Um, just the circumstances that I went through, I can now actually believe myself when I say, okay, I've done the work. Uh, you know, I'm going to go out and do Warning. this. This episode contains adult language and adult humor. Since when have trumpet players ever been considered adults? If you are easily offended by these types of conversations, consider switching to the oboe. Welcome to the Trumpet Guru Saying Podcast. I'm your host, Jose Johnson. My guest for this episode is David Cookie Cook. Cookie is a man of many talents, an accomplished orchestral player. Cookie has also developed a reputation for his creative covers of video game music and is the co-founder of the Trumpeter's Multitrack Competition. But life for Cookie has not always been a piece of cake. And in this episode, Cookie gets real about his struggles and how he found a way to develop a fresh attitude about the trumpet and life. So, pour yourself a big glass, pull up a chair, and let the hang begin. Welcome to this episode of the Trumpet Gurus Hang, and this is a first-time hang for me and uh, my guest for uh, this episode, Mr. David Cook. Cookie, what's shaking? Not too much. Uh, I just got done tracking some stuff, some lead trumpet stuff, which is, you know, back in high school, uh, I wanted to be a studio player, and I went to Interlochen and studied with Ken Larson, mm-hmm. and, you know, if you don't know Ken... He he did the studio thing out in L.A. for quite a while. So he was like the perfect guy to study with for that. And then I got to my undergrad and I uh, went down the orchestral path, shall we say. Uh, it was it was to quote my my best friend from that time. I screwed up and had a really good audition the first year. And uh, it, it put me in all all the ensembles and I didn't really have enough time in the day or enough chops to really to do all that. So I ended up going down the route of the classical. And now that I'm out of school, I've got a space, I've got time, and we all have a lot of free time this last year. Uh, I'm doing a little bit more commercial stuff. So I was just trying out some new mouthpieces from Venture, and they're awesome. Uh, buy them. I'm kidding. Well, no, I'm no, not, not kidding. kidding. But. No, no. <laughs> Kidding, not really. Uh, so, uh, so when did when did you uh, finish your degree? Uh, I finished my master's. That would have been May two thousand seventeen. I actually did not attend my graduation ceremony because I was at the ITG International Excerpts Competition at the exact same time as my ceremony. So, uh, priorities were definitely. You know, I had my priorities, and I think it worked out pretty well. Yeah, well, good for you. Good for you. (laughs) Um, You've got a lot of really interesting stuff going on, and uh, I'm going to try and get to as much of it as possible. (laughs) But, um, you know, you have a wonderful little studio set up back there. I I love that. Yeah, so it looks great. Um, But you do a lot of multimedia stuff. So, um, yeah. Yeah, let, let's let's get into that a little bit. What's what's uh, got your oh, where to start? Um, okay, so like I said earlier, I studied with Ken Larson in in high school, 
and one of my required materials for trumpet lessons was to buy a Zoom H2. And so since high school, I've been recording myself, but it was for a practice tool. Uh, you know, you could play something, listen back to it, and go, this is exactly what happened. And, you know, it. I call it the humble box. And yeah. I think any of us that have recorded, we, we know what that's like. Uh, I'd like to say it gets better, but um, you just get better at hearing yourself and, and cringing less and less. Uh, so, yeah, throughout my entire undergrad, it was all purely as a practice tool. And then throughout my master's, it was mostly a practice tool again. And um, at the end of my undergrad, uh, Jeff Lewandowski introduced me to half-speed playback, which if you think you don't sound good on a recording, just put it at half-speed. You'll think you'll sound worse. Uh, but it also happens to be like the cheat codes to, to figuring out trumpet and getting better. So that was purely, it was all, you know, practice tool materials. And then one summer I decided to record all of the Chickowitz flow studies. Uh, a lot of people think the flow studies are dee da da dee da 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 I believe those are actually the long tone studies and the flow studies are a series of etudes. Uh, and I recorded the first book. Uh, it was a really neat summer project. Uh, again, it wasn't for having an online presence or anything. It was just practice tool. You know, this is, I was having this problem in my playing. I wanted to address it. I record one A2 today. I post it online and I put pressure on myself because it's online. It's up there forever. You go to my YouTube, you can still see them. For better or worse, it's a reflection of who I was. Oh, here, let me turn that off. My air conditioning unit is quite noisy, so we're going to give that a second. Sorry about that. No problem. Um, yeah, so I did that, and then, again, just practice tool, practice tool. Then uh, Jeff Lewandowski, the same guy that did the half-speed recording thing for me, uh, he ended up winning uh, a job with the Army Field Band, and I met up with him. I said, hey, man, what did you do that set you over the edge this last time? Because he had made finals quite a lot, and he was being very successful in auditions, but this was the first one that he won. He said, well, I drove down to Sweetwater, and I spent about $500 on a, on a decent microphone and an interface, and I could hear exactly what was going on. I said, well, $500 and that put him over the edge? I think I can swing that. Yeah. So I drove down to Sweetwater. I bought a, a, an SEVR2 ribbon microphone. I went just a little bit over my budget, but uh, I had a really great microphone, and I could hear exactly what was going on. So in order to test this microphone, this is where it all starts. In order to test the microphone, I did a multi-track recording of the flugelhorn section from Cyclone by Eric Morales. And I posted that online as just like a, hey, look what I've got. Then everybody's like, oh, man, that's so awesome. You should record the whole piece. So I recorded the whole piece. And my buddy Marcus Grant, who, uh, if you don't know him, you should go check out his stuff. Uh, we started a trumpet competition together. You should definitely go check that out. But uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Marcus said, hey, that was really awesome. I've got this arrangement of the Haydn, Hummel, and Neruda trumpet concertos for seven trumpets plus solo trumpet. Do you want to record those? And so I recorded the Hummel, and that kind of blew up. And then I had another composer, Devin Clara Fanslau. She reached out to me. I recorded her pieces. Then I started uh, working with Jonathan Mead and Ken Wyatt and all these people. And it all came from I bought a microphone as a tool 
Right. And it, it's just blown up from there. Yeah. Well, that's, that's actually kind of interesting because um, I had a conversation with uh, Tom Walsh uh, mm. uh, from uh, London, uh, you know, he's a Royal Academy, you know, does a lot of session work there. And we were talking about some of the stuff that he does in terms of, uh, you know, his studio work. And he got into home recording basically for the same reason as yeah. a way of testing things out and, you know, hearing how things sound. And now that's, that's turned into a very lucrative uh, side <laughs> yeah. of his business. So, yeah, you never know, you know, when you, when you get involved with something, you know, you may think that you're doing this for this one specific reason, but then it kind of opens a door for yeah, a whole whole different mm -hmm. uh, approach to stuff. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm gonna go ahead. Yeah, I, I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna be like very very much like a you know a squirrel, or, you know, <laughs> kind of thing going on here. Um, but you you'd already kind of hinted at uh, the the trumpet multi track uh, competition that you guys have yeah yep. That that was fascinating. I mean, that the idea behind that is really fascinating. So I just want to kind of get the backstory, and really, I want to know whether you guys are going to continue with that now that uh, we're we're exiting the COVID crisis. Yeah. So so short answer is yes. Uh, we are going to have season two, and that's going to continue. Um, how did this start? It's really funny that uh, I had been working with Marcus online for about two years by that point, and. I've known Marcus since, well, I don't want to talk about how long I've known him because it makes me feel old. Uh, and I know I'm not, not that old, but uh, Marcus hey, and I have known each other. You, dude. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Marcus and I have known each other for about 10 years now. So that's, you know, a good chunk of my life. And um, there's this other guy who I had not met before this point, Brandon Dix. And he's, he's also a multi track extraordinaire. And Marcus set up this Zoom meeting with us and he goes, hey, I, I want to do this project with you guys. And I don't know how it came up, but we were supposed to do this recording together. Uh, and that's that's how it started. We had this Zoom meeting and I don't know who brought it up. I don't know how exactly it started, but by the end of the meeting and it was it was funny. It was this three hour meeting. I didn't expect it to last this long. And I finished up and I came upstairs and I was talking to my parents. I said, so uh, I just started a trumpet competition with Brandon and Marcus. And, and I don't know exactly how it happened. That whole meeting was a blur. It was the fastest three-hour Zoom meeting of my life. Uh, and that was, oh gosh, that was probably like late August, early September. I'm not in, exactly sure when it started, but uh the whole thing has been the three of us work together so well there's so much optimism between the three of us uh we we can be realistic about things you know if something's not going to work or if something's a bad idea we'll you know any one of us will definitely say hey this is a terrible idea we shouldn't do this and you know it happens um so we we had sort of taken the idea of ntc I think we, we decided we were going to do this, and very shortly after, NTC announced that they were going to do all online for the trumpet ensembles. Mm -hmm. And so we said, well, why don't we have an ensemble category as well? But the idea was that, you know, we have this trumpet competition that's unlike anything ever before, and what a better time. You know, everybody got into doing recordings and stuff, and, you know, 
we were just talking about just before, if, you're, if your mom said to you, you know, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. But there's a lot of productions out there that came out this last year, and it's a valiant effort to, to any sort of a multi-track at all. If you don't know what goes into it, it's the amount of work that anybody puts into it, no matter what the result is, is impressive in itself. Right. But there's a lot of them that you're out there. Well, well you know, if you just did this one little thing, you know, it, it would be so much better. Or, you know, you do this thing. So we decided to have a, a competition, but also to have a seminar where you you learn how to do this stuff. So Marcus, Brandon, and I, we put together a whole seven session seminar and three of those wait how many was it three it might have been more than seven hold on i should know this but i don't uh there were three audio three video and one lighting basically so we had like audio basics like what is a microphone what does it do what are the different types of microphones what's a ribbon versus a condenser and then we had, you know, here's how you mix, here's how you master, you know, all the, you know, basically it was a lot of information. I felt drained after every single one of them. And we had one for lighting, you know, that's a huge part of video is lighting and framing. And then we had video editing, Brandon ran those and it was, it was just so cool. And then we worked like dogs, man. We, we actually decided in December that this was going to be a part-time job. And Every weekday we met for three hours in the morning. And then we, we had our submission deadline and we put together the video from all the submissions. And I'd say it was a hit, man. It, it came out really well. I'm really proud of it. And I know Marcus and Brandon are too. And we're really looking forward to the next year. It's going to be, it's going to be cool. We were worried about, you know, once, you know, we're obviously not quite through the whole COVID thing yet, but the light is at the end of the tunnel. Things are starting to return to normal. We were kind of worried about was next year going to be even possible, but you know we've heard back from so many people that they're excited about it, and we're I can't say too much because I don't know what I'm allowed to say, but uh, we're looking forward to some things changing up for next year. Well, that's cool. Well, you know, uh, I'm a firm believer that uh, you know, you, there's opportunities that exist in everything. You know, so even even in the worst situation, there's there's going to be an opportunity that's there. It's just a question of whether whether you find it and whether you take Mm -hmm. it. And one of the things that I think that uh, has become, uh, you know, has been brought to the forefront of our attention as a result of the pandemic is the use of technology, you know, the the virtual world. And, uh, you know, whether it be for things like, you know, what we're doing right now to do this podcast, whether it's, uh, you know, the, the trumpet competition, um, you know, workshops, uh, and even remote working, you know, mm-hmm. people for years would say, well, no, you can't do it. And the reason why they say that you can't do it is because they hadn't done it, you know, yeah. it, 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 it can be done and it will be done. So I think now that, that the, the genie has been let out of the bottle, if you will, uh, you're going to see that there are going to be a lot of people that, well, there'll be people that jumped on the bandwagon because that was the only way they're going to do something. And then once mm-hmm. they go back to the old way, then there's going to go back, you know, uh, migrate back. But I think there's going to be a percentage of people that are like, no, you know, there's, there's a tremendous amount of value in this. And 
Yeah, just what I'm doing with the podcast, and I think where I, I see what you guys are doing fitting in is that, you know, yeah, things, the, the traditional venues like, you know, the NTCs and the ITGs and the, and the things like that, they're, they're going to exist. Oh, yeah. uh, and they're great. They're great for people to, to, to go and do those things. But not everybody can do that. You know, mm-hmm. not everybody's got the money to do it. Nobody, not everybody's got the time to do it. Um, and so when, when you start to utilize technology, when you utilize the, the use of, of uh, you know, doing a trumpet, a virtual trumpet ensemble, of, of doing things like we're doing, having a virtual hang, um, you remove those restrictions of time and space and yep. to some degree money uh, for actually for a large degree money yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh but uh i think that that it opens a door to people who would not in a lot of uh, in the in the real in the normal world would not have had access to those same opportunities now you're giving them to them and i think that that for people like you and me uh that that see the value in this that it's going to continue and it's going to grow mm-hmm and that was definitely something something that we did do. We opened up our competition to North America, so everybody in Mexico and Canada. Unfortunately, we didn't have any international applicants this year. But uh, one of the things that we hope to do either next year or in the future is have an actually truly open worldwide competition. And I don't know how many of those exist, and certainly there's none of them that are operating like we are. There's a lot of international competitions. I did compete in quite a few. But, um, you know, going back to the the financial aspect of it, you know, doing a a trumpet competition in France when you live in Michigan is really expensive. Um, And for us, you know, it's just going to be, well, you make a video and you, you pay the entry fee and boom, you're in this international competition. And one of the big goals with it and what we saw was this chance to create a community because there's so many people out there that are multi-tracking, but everybody's kind of doing it in their own thing. And, you know, we're all trumpet players, you know, even even the nicest, sweetest trumpet players, we get defensive sound and yeah. be like, oh, you know, I'm doing this thing and so and so is also doing this thing. We're competing. Well, yes, but as Marcus brings up quite a lot in our meetings, rising waters, or sorry, rising waters lift all ships, right. I believe is, is, is what he says. Yeah. And it's so true. You know, if somebody does this thing in their video and it, it just makes it so much better, you know, I can go like, Hey man, what did you do there? That's so cool. And then they can tell me what they did and I can like mess around with that and maybe I can experiment and change something and make it even better or I make it worse. But, you know, I tried it and it's something, you know, it, it just opens up this community, which is so cool because we need more positivity in the trumpet world. Are you positive about that? I am 100 percent positive. OK. All right. Just want to make sure. Yeah, I, I'm with you 100 percent on that as well. Uh, community is is. Is crucial, uh, you know, it, whether it be the, just the general support system, uh, but also it, it's kind of like, uh, you know, sharing processing, you know. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, you, you could do this on one computer or you could do it on a network of computers. Uh, and when we have when we have more uh, 
more brains working, we have more levels of creativity working, we're going to find newer solutions, we're going to find better innovations, and that's what's going to help to, to move our art form to the next level. And, Absolutely. Uh, you know, and, and I love what you know, you're saying like, about competition that, yeah, I don't, in some ways I don't like competition and, and coming from someone who's a competitive athlete, that, yeah, that, that sounds like a weird <laughs> thing to say. But um, I, I always looked at competition uh, as, or try to always look at competition as being, uh, I'm, I'm basically competing with myself. Yeah. Where it's it's about I want to push my level higher, but left to my own devices, I'm inherently lazy. So if mm-hmm. I don't have anything to push me, I'm not gonna. I'm I'm just gonna sit on the couch. But I get that. But when when I see people that are doing things that maybe go, damn, how do they how do they learn to do that? How do they get to do that? What do they and start to talk to people and sharing that passion and getting those insights. Because some of the best relationships I've made have been with people who were my, my uh, fellow competitive athletes. It's like, you know, we would sit and talk about our training concepts and, you know, the things that we did to, you know, it's like, this is what I did. Okay, well, I'm going to try that. You know, like you're saying, and, and that's what helps to then raise the, raise the level of, of all the, the participants. So, you know, in the trumpet world, uh, there's certainly a, a level of ego, um, I, you know, let's, let's face it, particularly, <laughs> you know, in, in certain aspects of the trumpet world. But, um, you know, to see you guys working together uh, on this, I think it has a lot of value. And, um, yeah, I'm just excited to see what, what happens in the future. So, so let's, let's talk a little bit about, about the multi-tracking stuff, uh, yeah. just like the, the technical side. Because you've been doing, uh, you know, you, you've got your, your stuff that you've been doing. Um, what has been the most challenging aspect of uh, of the work that you that you've been doing for yourself in terms of multi tracking? Um, so it, it 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 evolves, of course. You know, I've been doing this basically since January two thousand nineteen, and as as the stuff that i do gets harder it obviously gets more and more difficult to 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 manage stuff the first one the video editing was a complete and total nightmare uh i i have to say it was uh, i think i actually had to re-record the video four different times for my very first project so um i'd say the hardest part and i'm i'm failing horribly at it is the the gear acquisition disease uh, involved in all of this. Um, you know, I'm, I'm speaking into this microphone. I've got a Barkley microphone. I've got a suitcase full of microphones there. I've got my camera. I've got all the lights. I'm in this studio. Um, so on a personal level, that is the, the hardest to cope with. And on a financial level, that is obviously the most difficult to cope with. But, um, oh gosh, I don't, it's it's hard to think of this as difficult because it's just you know it's I'll I'll rewind a bit that I was doing this in January 2019 I started with it and then I did the stuff with Marcus over the course of summer 2019 and then I I was kind of doing a couple things and then all of a sudden you know March 11th 2020 happened and I just, well, I have all, I have a couple free weeks. Let's knock out some projects. And then it's been more than a couple of weeks. But, yeah. um, uh, and it, it, 
side note that it's really interesting to go back and, and listen to the early episodes of this and see how optimistic we all were that it was going to be over in just five or six weeks. Yeah. Uh, how, how wrong we were. But uh, I, I think the time management part is the most difficult, actually, now that I've sort of talked my way through it. Um, the, the trumpet playing part is, you know, that's an acquired skill. Uh, obviously, trumpet playing is an acquired skill, but recording yourself is is a bit of a skill. Um, once you've got it down, though, it's just, you know, you've got to execute that skill. But the time management, that's always something you're going to have to deal with with your projects, be it a deadline that you have, um, carving time out to, to make a project happen or not neglecting other parts of your life because you're in the middle of a project. That's something that I tend to do. I, I get lost in my work and forget about things. And, you know, I have alarms on my phone for all sorts of stuff. So, yeah, that's, you know, aside from all of the, you know, very technical parts, you know, those are all not easily learned, but, you know, you can learn, you know, how to record yourself. You can learn how to video edit. You, you know, you learn how to play the trumpet, all these things. But, something that will always be present in working on these projects is definitely time management. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the one resource that, uh, you know, we, we have the hardest time with, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, and and I think the people that are are the most successful, um, are those who, who have mastered the skill of time management. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, with your, uh, with your YouTube channel, one of the mm-hmm. things I've noticed is that you seem to have, uh, or at least recently, uh, a fascination with music from video games. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so let us in on that. Uh, okay, so uh, let's rewind a bit, as, as always. Um, it was late 2018. And I went down to Arkansas, um, as you, you might have guessed. I'm from Michigan. Uh, I ended up playing with the Arkansas Music Works Brass Band. And I met this guy who was playing timpani there. His name was Andrew Thompson. And he runs a YouTube channel called Orchestral Fantasy. And I didn't know any of this about him other than the fact he was playing timpani with the brass band. And we went to a championship together. And we, we actually ended up winning the championship. And I came came back to Michigan after that, and I got my microphone fairly shortly after that and started recording things. And I believe it was December 2019, Andrew sent me a message, and he goes, Hey, man, uh, you see you're recording a lot of stuff. Uh, do you mind tracking for this video of mine? Um, and if you haven't seen any of Andrew's videos, you should check them out. Andrew does all of that himself. He plays all instruments. He can, you know, he's a keyboardist. He plays recorder, harp, all of the string instruments, uh, all of the wind instruments. It's, you know, he's one of those guys that I'm just jealous of how, how many things he can do in addition to all of the arrangements that he does. And they're very realistic sounding. So um, I've always had a fascination with video game music it's really, really cool. And about, you know, December 2019, I started tracking stuff for him. And then January of this year, I decided, hey, uh, 
I want to start doing some stuff of my own. It sort of came out that, you know, I'm, you know, the, the content that I make, trumpet content, is, you know, I, I think a lot of people would like it if they saw it, but, you know, how many people will search uh, day by day trumpet solo on YouTube? That's not going to happen. Um, but, you know, I know when I was in high school, I searched Final Fantasy trumpet and, you know, some stuff came up and I got interested in video game music that way. So it it sort of came about because I'm interested in it. And I think it's really cool. Um, the Final Fantasy seven soundtrack is one of the coolest bits of music that you'll ever hear. Um, and I've always been fascinated with it. And it's very programmatic music. It, it tells a story. Uh, you know, and that's something that some misses, but it tells a story. It keeps you engaged, but it's not obtrusive. If that makes any sense, it's, it, it's sort of like a movie soundtrack, but for a video game. And, you know, I, I've always enjoyed it, but it partially was because, you know, hoping to get a little bit more traction on my YouTube video, but, uh, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun to record this stuff and arrange it. So it's, you know, multifaceted, but um, it all started with, with Andrew Thompson and saying, hey, man, can you record? And remember, it was uh, the Hyrule Field theme from A Legend of Zelda. And the, the very first video that I did with him, I was like, oh, I'm going to wear an elf hat and a green shirt because it's supposed to be Link. And uh, I look back at that video and go, ooh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Uh. But... <laughs> seemed like a good idea at the time it absolutely was <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but now it's out there forever exactly and that video has um quite a few views because that's a pretty popular track mm -hmm. so you know there's a lot of people out there and and it's it's funny anytime i'm in one of his videos uh you know i'm, I'm obviously in this studio now but that's a fairly recent thing uh, before I was just in one of the rooms in my, my parents' house in the basement and I was not comfortable showing all of my stuff in the background of my video. So I had this black curtain and there's a lot of, a lot of comments on his videos about, oh, the trumpet in the black void can't hurt you. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a really cool community of people too. Like it's a very niche thing, you know, people interested in video game music and even smaller uh, live renditions of video game music, but it's a really cool community. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, and it's funny because uh, you know th that word has has made uh, numerous appearances today. Community, so mm -hmm. um, and and I'm talking about the television show either, but that is one of my enjoyable guilty pleasures. <laughs> um, but um, when when you talk about community. Um, you went to Interlochen, so yep. um, was the atmosphere there uh, more on the you know everybody's in the, you know, stay in their lane kind of thing, or was it a very strong community uh, in in your time there? So that's a really interesting question because uh, you know I I grew up I live in the middle of nowhere in Michigan in South Central Michigan. Uh, it's about 20 minutes to the nearest anything from my house. Uh, so I'm not necessarily close to a lot of people. And growing up, you know, for elementary and middle school, I actually went to a private Lutheran school. 
and my eighth grade class was eight people. Wow. And then uh, my first three years of high school, I went to, to Jackson High School, and I went from eight people in my eighth grade class to over 700 in my ninth grade class. And I was, I, you know, I, I had my friends and stuff, but it was still coming from this kind of small town Michigan area, and I got to Interlochen, and everybody there was so open and welcoming and just like generally open as people. And that wasn't who I was at that time. Um, now I'm very outgoing and friendly, but I just, you know, I had never experienced that sounds weird to say it, but I'd never had experiences with people from all around the world and people from all sorts of different backgrounds. You know, there were, you know, children of billionaires there. And then there was little old me from middle of nowhere, Michigan. And, uh, you know, it was, it really was, there was this really, you know, everybody's in it together type of thing. But I, you know, I had a couple close friends when I was there and I sort of stayed out of that. I was definitely staying in my own lane just because I was getting overwhelmed by all the people there and all the different things that they were doing and where they came from. I mean, it was so cool to experience and I, I feel like I navigated it all right. But, uh, if I could go back again with some like more world experience going into that, that would just be so much cooler. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so when, um, when you graduated, uh, mm -hmm. what was your vision for your career? My dream was when I graduated from Interlochen, I absolutely wanted to be a studio player. Um, and so for me, it was actually very, very close. Uh, the whole college audition thing was really weird. Uh, again, this is one of those things. I'm happy with where I ended up. I, I love my life now. But uh, high school David was an idiot, man. Uh, he, he auditioned at Michigan State because he knew that school. Mm -hmm. He auditioned at Grand Valley because he'd done the trumpet seminar there a couple times and he knew that school and was like, well, I could probably get into those. Um, uh, I auditioned at Juilliard because it was Juilliard. And then I also heard a lot of people talking about this place called Eastman, this place called Oberlin, and this place called DePaul. So that's, that's how I picked the schools to audition for. I showed up to Eastman School of Music and auditioned and I had no idea who Jim Thompson was. Mm. <laughs> well, that, that could and, work to your advantage in some ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, in a similar vein, I showed up at DePaul and I, I, you know, the whole audition there. You remember that really bad snowstorm that was like early 2011 that basically dumped three feet of snow on Chicago and all of Pennsylvania was a sheet of ice? Yeah, yeah. My parents drove up from my house to Interlochen on that Thursday in the middle of that storm, Friday, we drove from Interlochen through Canada, through Buffalo to Rochester. Saturday, we drove after my audition at Eastman. So I auditioned at Eastman Saturday morning, and then we left Rochester and drove south of Lake Ontario in Erie down to Chicago. And then I had my audition at DePaul, and you know we were concerned about making it back to Interlochen on on Tuesday, I can't remember the exact time frame, but it was this really like 
the worst absolute time to be driving Interlock in Rochester, Chicago to Interlock and back because right. it was, you know, the whole upper Midwest was literally a sheet of ice. And my audition at DePaul, I got there a couple hours early and we were concerned about getting back to Interlock and they said, well, we've got a, we've got a, somebody canceled and you can go in about 20 minutes. It's like, well, I guess I'll warm up and, and do this audition and then I can get back, you know, we'll have more time on the road. And so I auditioned for Matt Lee and Taga Larson, no clue who either of them were on uh, about 20 minutes worth of notice. And like, that's how I just approached everything back then. It was, you know, it was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, you know. Uh, anyway, that was a really long way to, to say I had those schools and I wanted to be a studio player. So Eastman and Oberlin were my top two choices. And um, I didn't, you know, I, I got a substantial scholarship from either one, but I couldn't afford to go to, to either one. And Grand Valley, I didn't get any scholarship at because, you know, it was a really, really strong program. So the school's attitude towards it was we'll get people who will come no matter what. So we're not going to give any trumpet scholarships. Mm -hmm. uh, so Grand Valley, without any scholarship, than Eastman or Oberlin with the scholarship that I had. And I really wanted to go to one of the other two schools, but my parents just put their fate down and said, we will not co-sign a loan for you. Um, and I was so angry at them, but that was the best decision they ever, that was the best thing they ever did for me because, you know, I can't imagine going to music school for a trumpet degree and walking out of there with $120,000 in debt. Cause it's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I really wanted to be a studio player. But then I got to Grand Valley, and like I was saying earlier, I had auditioned really well, and I didn't have time to be in the big band anymore, didn't have time to do any sort of commercial work, and it all sort of just focused me towards the orchestral path. Mm -hmm. So now that that uh, things have kind of shifted, the sands have shifted, mm -hmm. um, and especially now, you know, with the with the multi tracking and things like that, uh, do you see yourself doing more commercial work and, and studio work? Absolutely. Um, you know, if there's anything that this past year has shown us is that you don't need to go out to uh, you know, you don't need to live in Nashville. Yeah, it helps. I mean, you know, I just watched Vinny's episode and, you know, you can't be on that many sessions if you live in the middle of nowhere, Michigan, um, because you couldn't make it to them. But I'm really thankful that I, I have two orchestral positions and some regional orchestras here. And going back to that balance thing, uh, time management is that I've really got to figure out, okay, how will I balance my orchestral work? And, you know, I also have this guilty pleasure of playing in brass bands and, and, dedicating way too much time and, and money and driving for those and doing the studio work. It's, it's all really cool. And you know, it, it tickles that itch that I had at the end of high school that I wanted to be a studio player. Um, I don't think I would do very well in LA. That's a whole different topic. Um, you know, I'm, you know, going back to the whole, I grew up in the middle of the woods in Michigan. 
Uh, I lived in Montreal for a couple years, and it was just anxiety-inducing being on an island with three million people and, like, five bridges off the island. That it didn't work for me. Yeah. So uh, I'm grateful to have the resources that I do here, and it's great. Yeah. Well, I, there, there's a piece that comes with uh, understanding, I, and I don't... I don't want to use the word limitations um, it, with understanding what what's really important to you, you mm-hmm. know, and uh, some people call them non-negotiables, you know, and just saying, you know, these are the things I really don't. You know, these are the things that, that, that I can't do without. And these are the things that I don't want to put up with. And yep. just being super, super clear on, on those two. And, and sometimes they're in conflict, but you, you have to decide, you know, what's the most, what is the most important thing? And, uh, you know, redefining stuff is important a lot of times, I think, because, you know, it, we start out with these very, very narrow views of what we want to do and what success looks like to us. And if you really start to dig down beneath those layers and you start to find out that, you know, well, it's not necessarily being a studio trumpet player. I just, you know, that's great. But, you know, I just want to play trumpet, man. I just want to play trumpet. Well, there's there's a hell of a lot more opportunities just to play trumpet than there are to just track sessions. And, you know, so that that's I think to me that that's kind of that that's a sign of maturity, of growth and wisdom. And, you know, it's really funny that. You, you bring up the whole like very narrow views. That was me. I, you know, I, um, you know, some people that I had worked with, you know, I, they'd be like, well, what do you want to do with your life? Well, I want to play trumpet and find a way to, you know, feed my family with that. And then I was told, no, that's not, no, you have to have really specific, really focused goals. And so it got to the point where I, you could ask me and I could say with a straight face, I want to be the principal trumpet of the Cleveland Orchestra. And, you know, I still, I absolutely love playing in the orchestra. Um, you know, if I had an opportunity to do that at this point, would I? I don't know, because that would leave me not enough time to play in a brass band. It wouldn't leave me enough time to do these videos and stuff. And it wouldn't, you know, it would just, it would take, it would require all of my time. Mm -hmm. And at this point, um, you know, it wouldn't be an immediate yes. Maybe I would think about it and, you know, figure out if that's really, really what I want to do. Or do I like doing these other things? But, um, you know, talking about peeling back the layers, uh, I, I had a really, really, really rough time in my master's degree. It was uh, a whole bunch of different things. I know I said I didn't really want to talk about this, but we're going to talk about it anyway. Because um, <laughs> uh, I think it's important that people, especially college-age people, know that, and I won't talk about what happened. I'll just say it was a really, really rough time for a lot of reasons. You know, I talked about how anxiety-inducing it was to be on an island with three million people. And like I said, five bridges, um, that didn't work out for me. Um, I really came to terms with the fact that if I wanted to be an orchestral trumpet player, you know, there's no New York Philharmonic, there's no Cleveland orchestra in middle of nowhere, middle of the woods, Michigan. Um, now that's not to say that you couldn't 
live out in the middle of the woods or have enough space to, to branch out because, you know, there's several people. There's a couple members of the Montreal Symphony that they live off the island and they, you know, have decided they want to live further away from the city. And the consequence of that is you have a commute. And if you've got a service that requires you be there at seven o'clock, eight o'clock in the morning, well, either you have to get up ridiculously early and battle with traffic, or you have to just suck it up and get a hotel or stay with somebody that night. Um, and so I've I've kind of figured out that yeah, I don't want to live in a city. Um, you know I, you know I've had I've had a couple people say like, well, you know, how do you figure out who you really are? Well. I had these really specific goals about who I wanted to be. And I ended up finding it much easier to take a whole bunch of things that I don't want to be and say, okay, I don't want to be this person. I don't want to be this person. I don't want to be like this. And then you peel away those layers and all of a sudden you get, well, okay, there's cookie. That that's, that's who I want to be. And you know, it's kind of negative, you know, I mean, intrinsically, it is negative saying, like, I don't want to be that. Mm-hmm. But it's I found it much easier to really come to terms with who I am, what I am by instead of going, I want to be this. Well, I don't want to be this. I don't want to be this person. I don't want to be negative. I don't want to be, you know, how to say it in a nice way. Um, I don't want to be bitter about what I do. And if I ever, and I've always said this, and I've come really close a couple of times, if I ever don't enjoy playing the trumpet anymore, I'm going to quit. And I've come very, very close a couple of times now. But um, circumstances always, you know, it's always worked out in my favor. But, you know, I want to talk about that really quick. Um, Let's do it, man. (laughs) uh, and, And, you know, I had a mentor uh, things were kind of rough in, in this, this mentor and I were talking and he said, well, if you ever really, really, really want to quit, give me a call and we'll talk about it. I never quite got to that point, but there was one time at the end of my undergraduate degree, uh, my professor went on sabbatical and the, the person who came in, I will not main, mention any names, but, uh, the person who came in for sabbatical replacement, we didn't get along. Um, we had the very first lesson. It was kind of clear that it wasn't going to work out, but I just said to myself, okay, I'm going to have 13 more of these. I just got to suck it up and be done with this. And then uh, my old professor called me and said, hey, how was your lesson with so-and-so? I said, well, I wasn't going to say anything, but since you asked... Um, you know, here's, you know, it, it was not good and this is why. And, um, you know, word got out to that person that, that, that happened and things got a lot worse and they wouldn't necessarily have gotten worse if it weren't for, you know, that supposed to be confidential phone call, not being confidential. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and there's a lot of regrets with that cause you know, I, I have no relationship with the person that came in. Uh, sabbatical replacement absolutely none whatsoever and you know I've you know it's it's something that I really wish I you know and not for personal gain or anything like you know it's just like I you know that person doesn't like me it hurts me that somebody doesn't like me like that's who I am right um 
But throughout that whole semester, you know, things were really tough. And I remember I had a particularly bad lesson and I was sitting in world music of all courses. And I was just, you know, I was sitting there basically crying in the class and I had my laptop up and I was taking notes. But in reality, I was signing up for welding courses at the local community college. And I decided, okay, uh, I have like one more semester. I'm going to finish up my undergraduate degree in trumpet. And then I'm going to go get uh, welding certifications and I'm going to go be a welder. And that's always been like my go to is if trumpet doesn't work out. I'm going to go be a welder because that's that makes money. It's interests me enough. So I was very close to quitting then. Um, I don't really know what happened. I, you know, I, I had said, I'm just going to stick this out, finish up my undergraduate degree. Um, the tables turned and I was okay with continuing on with trumpet after that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to be, to be clear, there's no shame in, in hanging up the horn. Uh, I know there's a lot of stigma about that and I'm, that's kind of why I'm talking about this. Um, then the next time was, uh, I had just finished up my master's degree at McGill and I did, I basically got from my professor up there, Paul Markello, and he said, Hey, uh, you need to send your resume to this person. No other information. And so I, I sent it on and I said, uh, by the way, what did I just send my resume for? Uh, and it turned out to be um, a one-year position was open with the Thunder Bay Symphony. And, uh, you know, it just so happened to work out that I I ended up getting the gig. And so I moved up to Thunder Bay, Ontario, which if you don't know where that is, uh, go to Chicago and go about 700 miles straight north. Um, it's on the north shore of Lake Superior. I got to feel what minus 59 degrees Celsius feels like. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had the gig. I you know, I was playing principal trumpet in an orchestra for a year. And it was the coolest thing ever. And then the audition for the full-time position happened. And I didn't get the gig. And that messed with me. And... Uh, something else I want to try and sort of destigmatize is I started taking beta blockers after that audition. That was the the last one that I wanted to really swallow up my pride and say I can do this. Um, I know I can play the gig. I did it for a year. I've subbed in the Montreal Symphony. I know I can do it. But the auditions were elusive to me. It wouldn't be any one big thing. I don't have debilitating nerves, but it was enough. A couple things, taking a, a couple percent off the top was enough to put me at like 85 or lower percent of my, you know, my normal. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't win an audition on the best day of your life. You win an audition on any day of your life. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. So I started taking beta blockers. So I had this audition in Thunder Bay, which I didn't get. That sort of affected my psyche. And then I had... 
Uh, I wanted to try beta blockers, so I took two local auditions for part-time orchestras here in Michigan, uh, and that was purely experimental. There was nothing attached. I didn't want the gigs. I was going to move back to Montreal. That was going to be the plan. Um, so I tried, you know, we messed with dosing and stuff with my doctor, but that was all of a sudden that was three no's in like four weeks. Very, very rapid succession, three failures at auditions. And then, uh, I had this audition. It was for the third trumpet associate principal trumpet in Montreal. Uh, a couple days before the audition, I was taking a lesson with somebody and I just broke down. I said, I have no business auditioning for this orchestra right now. Like this is not gonna, not gonna happen. And, I, and it was Chris Smith that I was playing for. And he goes, okay, fair enough. If, if that's what you think, you know, sure. Uh, now that that's out of the way, what do you have to do to play this excerpt successfully at this audition? Well, I have to do this and this. He goes, great, go do that. Don't worry about that you're not supposed to be auditioning for the Montreal Symphony. Don't worry about all this other stuff. Just show up, play that, uh, play that excerpt that way. That's all you can do. You can't control how they feel. You can't control anything else, just what you do. Right. And then go do that for the next excerpt. And... You know, I didn't have much time to really, uh, to really let that soak in, and I went and did that, and you know, it wasn't a horrible experience. Um, I actually feel like I did fairly well, all things considered, considering three days prior that I was, you know, had a complete and total breakdown, didn't think I should be auditioning for that orchestra, um, and then. You know, I was going to move back to Montreal. Uh, I was going to move in with my girlfriend at the time. And we had a horrible breakup. So I moved back to Michigan because, you know, I, I was on a, a visa in Montreal. So I didn't, I had an expiration date there. So uh, upon several people's advice, I moved back to Michigan where, you know, there was no expiration date. And I started getting into the scene. And it was the Louisville Principal Trumpet Audition. And I showed up, and I was, you know, pretty down from the breakup, pretty in my head about all the other auditions that I had lost earlier that summer. And I show up, and I'm in the last block of the day. And I don't know why it got mentioned, but I, I drew the last person in the last block of the day. And somebody's like, oh, well, you're the last person to go for prelims. Like, no, don't tell me that, man. <laughs> so, um, you know, I knew I was the very last person in prelims. And I played two and a half excerpts and I got a thank you. Because I was not, you know, I was not in a good mental place. I didn't even stick around. I, I left. It was like, I played two and a half excerpts. I know I didn't play them well. I know I'm the last person. They've heard, you know, a hundred other people at this point. There's no point in sticking around. So I hopped back in my car and I had decided, okay, that's it. Uh, you know, I had a good run. I know I can play the gig. Uh, I know I can play the trumpet, but auditions are not going to happen. And this was still, David was, I want to be principal trumpet of this orchestra, David. And so I had said to myself, okay, we're done. Uh, I'm going to finish out everything that I've agreed to do, but I'm not going to accept any more work. Um, I'm just going to finish out my schedule. I'm going to practice, and I'm going to do the absolute best that I can for all of those things. But after that, we're done. 
And so I showed up the next week to a gig with the Flint Symphony. And the personnel manager for Flint is also the personnel for, uh, for Saginaw. Those are the two orchestras that I play for now. So you can kind of see how this story ends. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Greg goes to me. He's like, hey, uh, I didn't see your name for the second trumpet audition in Saginaw. Are you, are you going to be there? I said, uh, second trumpet audition? Saginaw? What? Um, he goes, yeah, we got a second trumpet audition in Saginaw next week. I'd love to see you there. Like, uh, okay, there's an audition next week. He said he wanted to see me there. I'm done. But Greg said he wanted to see me there. So I, I literally showed up at this audition, not even on a professional level, not wanting to disappoint Greg because I was done. I, you know, I was done. But on a personal level, you know, I said, you know, it hurt me when somebody doesn't like me. I want to reciprocate that. You know, he said he wanted me to be there. I'll be there. And, you know, I had zero, I didn't care about this audition. And I went and I played really well because I didn't care. Right. I was out of my own head. And uh, I won that gig. And I was like, well, you know, I didn't care about it. But it would be really, really crappy of me to go show up to this thing and 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 play well and they want to hire me and then I say no. And that sort of taints the water for anybody else that, you know, if I had won, me saying no, I just showed up on a lark and then not taking the gig, you know, it's it's just not good all around. So I guess, well, I guess I'm going to stick this out then. And yeah, you know, I, I did feel pretty good about it at that point. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I stuck it out. And then uh, a little while later, they had a third trumpet audition in Flint. Uh, it's actually for the same person, the, the person that was there in both orchestras. You know, I'm now in both orchestras in that chair. So it's kind of funny. Um, and I was trying to figure out, it's like, well, the key is not to care. But obviously, I really care about this because this would be a great thing to have. And for that whole audition, you know, how earlier I talked about recording yourself and, you know, that's on the Internet forever. Well, my approach to that audition was I recorded mock rounds every single day and I sent those mock rounds out to people. If they listened to them, cool. If they didn't listen to them, whatever. If I got feedback, awesome. If I didn't get feedback, who cares? But the point was... That was out there on the internet, and if that person wanted to share them, I would be a little bit upset, but it's it's a completely different feeling knowing that what you put out there is out there forever. You can't take it back. So that was my my preparation for that audition. And then I heard mock rounds. My friends absolutely loved me, by the way, for those couple months that I was just bombarding them. Yeah. Um, but after about a hundred mock rounds, I said, I'm sick and tired of these excerpts. I can't wait for the audition to be over. Wait, I'm sick and tired. I don't want to be here. That's it. That's the thing. So, um, you know, I went and I did pretty well at that audition, I would say. And so now I've got, you know, between those two, I've got a decently busy schedule in Michigan and, the personnel manager for those orchestras does a lot of contracting for other things. So, um, in the before times, shall we call them? I was, you know, pretty busy with, with stuff. I was driving a lot. Um, but I was, I was pretty busy and able to make ends meet. Yeah. Well, that's always good. Um, 
I don't know if you have ever read uh, any of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy mm-hmm. books. Yeah, so it's it's like the the whole idea of uh, you know the the way you fly is uh, forgetting that that gravity works. Absolutely. And and there's there's a level of truth to that. Like you know when when uh, you know people talk about being in the zone or uh, you know being in flow and things like that, you're not your your conscious mind is is redirected so you're not you're, you're not thinking about processes you're not worried about anything you're just you're just in that moment and that's you know one of the reasons uh you know i got involved in martial arts as heavily as i did was because i had a lot of stage fright as a musician you know as a trumpet player it's like you know put me in a section i'm 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 golden mm-hmm. but put me in front and i'm you know cotton mouth and shaking and you yep. know and that sort of thing, and that was kind of a, a process that I went through to to defeat that particular demon, um, and it was just getting to that point where it's like, you know, you care but you don't care, you know, because if mm-hmm. if you can say I did the work, you know, I, I put in the time here, and now that I'm at this point where I'm doing my performance. Uh, all I can do is just do my best, and you know you you can't worry about those uh, those outcomes because you, you can't change that. If you did all the work that you could do in the past, and you're doing the best you can do right now, then it's just time to let it go, man, and just let it flow. And and I would tell myself that I I could tell myself, yeah, I've done the work. Um, you know, I I got to just go do what I can control, mm-hmm. and if that's good enough, then cool, it's good enough. I could say it, but I didn't believe it. Yeah. Well, that- now I've internalized. I can believe it that, you know, I, you know, just the circumstances of everything and, and me and my, you know, I'm, I'm me. I've got a different mind than everybody else. You know, um, just the circumstances that I went through, I can now actually believe myself when I say, okay, I've done the work. Uh, you know, I'm going to go out and do this. Right. But, it was, you know, really, we could talk about trumpet playing and, and schooling and, and life and everything. I would say, like, that's been the start of my career, is when I was able to finally say that to myself and actually believe it. You know, everything, that was the, the you know, that was the before and this is the after. Yeah. I would say, like, the, and it's been very freeing, too. Yeah. And, that, you know, and it's so stupid. Everybody's like, oh, yeah, well, this is how you got to do it. It'll be really freeing. Well, it's like a like a psychologist in breakthrough moments. Like some people have been telling me this for my whole life, but now I actually get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, and and I'm glad that you shared that too because, you know, a couple things. Like one, yeah, there, there's there's no shame in hanging it up, mm-hmm. right? It, because if if it's no longer serving you, then you need to walk away from it. Whether that's you know, trumpet, a job you know, relationship, whatever, you know, when, when all of the joy has been sucked out of it, then, you know, it, it's time. Yeah. Now, what I used to tell my, my martial arts students was, you know, before, before you walk out the door, you know, and quit or quit and walk out the door, I guess that would be the way to go, <laughs> um, would be, give me one more, give me one more day. Or give me one more cycle, you know, like, you know, it's like, okay, you know, we're going to, we're going to be doing belt testing here in, in, you know, in, in six weeks. So stick it out for six weeks. And then after six weeks, if you're, if you're still not feeling it, 
then by all means, quit. But yeah. a lot of times what happens is that we become we become angry, frustrated, disappointed, whatever that that unproductive emotion is, because I don't believe in negative emotions. I just believe there's unproductive emotions. All emotions serve a purpose. You know, you, mm-hmm. you need to have fear. You need to have anger. You need to have all of them. They're, they're there for a purpose. But it's just when they're, in the, they're being used for the wrong purpose. You know, it's like, you know, using your, your one and a half C to, you know, the, to play Maynard parts. Yeah, it just, <laughs> it's not the right tool for the job. Um, that really resonates with me for some reason. Yeah, for that cookie double C. <laughs> uh, but it, it's, it's getting to the point where you, you can look at a situation and make that clear distinction between is it the situation that's causing that the problem or is it yeah so is it is it the the situation of being an audition that's a problem that i hate or is it the trumpet that i hate you Mm -hmm. know because you can play trumpet and not go on auditions you know you know but if if this is the thing that you don't like it's just you know, stopping to play the trumpet is like throwing the baby out with the bathwater you mm-hmm. know but but it's in 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 retrospect it's real easy you know to say yeah duh uh, but but when you're in the midst of it it's really really difficult and you know especially regardless of whether you know, the trumpet is just being the microcosm any problem that we have in life i think that's why community is so important to bring it all back to that community mm-hmm. thing mentors are so important um, people speaking their truths and their experiences is so critical because that's what lets you know that no matter what you're facing, somebody else has faced it and they've Absolutely. come out on it or they come out the other side better and stronger for it. So, you know, don't give up. Whether giving up means, you know, stop playing the trumpet or giving up in some cases means people wanting to take their own lives. Uh, you know, don't give up. You know, talk to somebody uh, and, and for those of us who have struggled with things, that struggle with fears and anxieties and depression and, and you know, you name it, it, whatever you've struggled with, if you've come through and you've got a story to tell, you need to tell your story because there's somebody out there whose life, you know, is really in many ways dependent upon your input and your, you know, your victory is going to make a difference to them. But if you, if you're not sharing, I think that's the most selfish thing you could do. Yeah. And, and, you know, the, the number of people that I've talked to, and I, again, I won't say any names because this is very, very private stuff, but you know, the number of people that I've talked to and they've had similar things go on and it's ridiculous how, how prevalent this is. Um, but the thing is, you know, there's so many people that have gotten through it that if we we sort of knew it, it, you know it, and it's hard to talk about this stuff it's not easy but um you know if if people were more open about what they're going through they could be like well yeah i've got this friend that you know they went through something similar and this is what they did to help you know like you said it could be world changing for people and yeah. you know i you know i didn't really have a lot of people talking about it to me when I, and I sort of figured all this stuff out, but it was, you know, and it was a big question of, okay, do I, do I hang up the trumpet completely and go be a welder and never play trumpet again? And actually I just remembered what it was that sort of set me over the edge back to coming to play the trumpet is, um, you know, this really depressive state that I was in, in my undergrad. 
Um, I went through my Facebook friends list and I looked. Other than family members, there were five people on my friends list that if I hadn't played the trumpet, I wouldn't know. Because literally everything that happened to me after eighth grade was because of the trumpet. Because mm-hmm. I went to Jackson High School because they had a better band program than my yeah, I did schools of choice. Uh, you know, I went to Interlock and everybody I knew from there, everybody that I met, you know, and that was just a very sobering experience for me. And it was a combination of that. And I really, really want to give the shout out here. Um, there's, there's a woman in Michigan. Her name is Jean Moorhead Libs. She is the sweetest, nicest, best person ever. Uh, a lot of people here call her trumpet mom and it is 100% uh earned she is the nicest sweetest person ever and she she'll remind me fairly often david if you didn't play the trumpet who would you be you still need to be david at the end of the day Mm -hmm. if you can't like if something happened you know not saying like i would quit but like let's say i'm in a car accident and i bite through my top lip and bite it off like horrible horrible visual there by the way but you know you know if you never played the trumpet again who would you be? And that, you know, ironically thinking about not playing the trumpet again, that was, you know, that was like the thing that helped get through that is that, okay, well, you know, maybe I'd be pretty miserable if I, if I didn't ever play again. And I know for me, it was a question of, do I play or just never play trumpet again? But I know there's a lot of people out there that it's not a question of do I play trumpet or not. It's a question of, well, you know, do I want to play trumpet professionally or do I have, you know, if I, I can make my, my, my salary doing something else and, and play trumpet at night, basically. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of stigma about that. But the beauty of that is if you disassociate trumpet or whatever your instrument is with making money, there's no quicker way to ruin something than my life and financial future depends on me doing this well. Like, yeah. and that was a, another common theme in the, the second one is I made a lot of decisions based off of money and, and finances and stuff. And like, not saying that you shouldn't do, you absolutely should be concerned with your financial future and how doing things are going to affect you financially because that's very important. But you know, I would look at all these other things that are pretty important to me now and I would just throw them out because financially this was the right thing to do. Yeah. And then I got really unhappy and bitter and I figured out, well, yeah, this is it. And I said, okay, well, I don't want to be that person. And coming back full circle there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and this is where I, I'm a huge believer in, uh, in asking the tough questions. And, and the, uh, of yourself, and that's that's you have to get to the real truth, and, and the the only mm-hmm. way you're going to get the real truth is to ask the, ask the real questions, and um, you know what? So, like in in a uh, a trumpet analogy, I, I, I this is this is a, a process I used to. Well, I'll use the martial arts analogy because it's the one mm-hmm. that, that I use the most frequently, um, but it, it will translate to, it translates to anything. I would have students who would come to me because 
Uh, they wanted to be, uh, you know, competitive athletes like I was. Uh, I had students who came to me because uh, they had health issues. Uh, I had students who came to me because they wanted to learn self-defense. It's like, okay. And I had students came to me just because, you know, they had a Tuesday night free and they wanted to do some activity with, you know, their spouse or just they just wanted to be in a group class of some kind. And they said, eh, martial arts sounds interesting. Eh, let's try mm-hmm. this. And it's like, look, I don't care why you're here, but to address your frustration, because I know everybody's going to get frustrated, um, you have to pick, you have to kind of pick your path a little bit. Not saying that you can't choose, but you have to understand that, that the way that you need to train to be a professional athlete is completely different than the way you need to train if you're recovering from a stroke, which is completely different from the way you need to train if you're just here for social purposes, which is completely, yeah, so all of these have different, you're doing mm-hmm. the same thing, but the way you approach it, the mentality you have, and the trade-offs you have are all different. Because to train as a competitive athlete, if you're recovering from some serious physical injury, this is actually counterproductive. You know, but if you want to be an athlete to train like someone who's recovering from a stroke is counterproductive. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, understand that you can still do the same thing, but, you know, just under, but know that you need to maybe adjust the intensity or the focus and understand that, you know, you, you're not going to be able to get all of these things with this this approach. Um, and so to bring it back to the trumpet, I was I was studying uh, with a, a great teacher that was uh, with the uh, the army band for about 25 years and uh, yeah I was I was in the middle of my my uh, my running my school and I didn't have a lot of time to practice and uh, I started studying with him and I was really getting frustrated because he would give me assignments I would go home and there would as my business was building I had days where I was at my studio teaching and, and running a business for 18 hours and I, I just didn't have the time or the energy to practice. And, uh, I would come back and I go, John, you know, I'm sorry, man, I didn't practice this and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, ah, it's okay. And so we go back and forth and I finally went to like, look, man, uh, I'm wasting your time. I'm wasting my time. I, I'm, I'm quitting. And he's like, well, why are you, you know, when we first talked about you coming, taking lessons, why, why did you want to take lessons? I, said, I love playing the trumpet. He goes, well, is it something that you really love? I'm like, yeah, I love it. It's fun. It's like, well, then stop worrying about whether you're getting through these lessons. Let's just have fun. Yeah. You know, if, if you're here to have fun, then let's have fun. If, if trying to make these improvements are putting pressure on you and you're not enjoying this, then, you know, you either need to quit, which I don't want you to do, or you need to quit thinking about it this way. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, and so I stopped putting pressure on myself, which actually ended up making me enjoy the lessons more, which actually ended up giving, you know, making more improvement. And it's just like creating that mindset that, hey, you know, if I don't get to the lesson this week, you know, if I, if I don't, you know, learn this attitude, it's okay. It's okay, you know, because I'm not trying to be a principal trumpet player in the Philadelphia you know, I'm not trying to do that. I just want to have fun playing and I want to keep my chops up. So, you know, that mindset really helped me out. So hopefully it'll help somebody out that's listening to this too. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, we had, we've had some, some deep, deep, deep conversation here today, <laughs> which is, which is okay. You know, that's, that's, that's what I like doing. That's all, but let's talk about something fun. 
Yeah, man. Something fun. So uh, you have uh, you you've been doing uh, the Barath Band stuff. That seems like that is a blast of a world to be involved in. Oh my gosh, yes. Um, and it you know to sort of I you know we want to talk about fun stuff, but to to really bring it full circle because that's a, a recurring theme with me also speaking of the brass band i've got the, the five lakes silver band shirt on um uh, the cool thing about brass bands is that it's not paid um intrinsically brass bands is it's an amateur activity and that's what makes it so cool because everybody's there for the love of it nobody's there to just collect a paycheck and and be on their way um it's one of the most challenging things you you can you can do musically, I think. Um, you know, as as a trumpet player, I would say at least, uh, just because you know, playing cornet is like playing you know all sorts of string parts and clarinet parts. Uh, they're they're the the bread and butter of all the technical stuff. And flugelhorn is actually I play flugelhorn in Five Lake Silver Band now, and that's. A really fun thing because you've, you've got to listen across but brass banding is so cool uh i could talk about it and not really get anywhere do you have any specific questions about the movement or anything uh, no just uh, you know kind of what what piqued your interest in it and and what would you suggest if someone was was interested in exploring uh brass bands you know what would be a good suggestion for them so I've been playing in brass bands since 2008 or 2009. Um, I was, you know, in early in high school. And here's the thing you got to know about me when I was in high school. When I turned 16, which was in my junior year of high school, so I'm pretty young for my grade level, or I was, I'm no longer in school. But um, I turned 16 in my junior year, and I actually got pulled over twice for not looking old enough to drive by myself. Um, so I, uh, had a couple friends in high school that had played with this local group called Capital City Brass Band. Capital City is in Lansing, Michigan. And, uh, I had always expressed interest in being a part of it. Um, and eventually one summer concert, they needed somebody to, to come in and fill in on the back row. So I sat bottom chair, third cornet, and I was having the time of my life and, you know, playing a, a, you know, I had a cornet, but playing a new instrument, playing a much deeper mouthpiece than I was used to. And, um, you know, it's really fun. My college and fire and was also in Capital City at that time. And she she has this really fun quote. Yeah, I was sitting there and I look over and I say, are they accepting middle schoolers in this group now? Uh, and, and then and then he played and I realized, uh, you know, what what was going on? Um so I've, I've been playing with them since then. And in the capital city brass band, uh, I I've, I've sat in every single cornet chair in that band at this point. Um, it's, it's really cool. Uh, like I said, it's, it's different kind of music. It, it exercises different parts of your, thing. if you really want a, a technique workout and brass bands are for you, I personally love the sound of the cornet. Um, I'm kind of to the point, you know, again, back when I was like, I want to be principal trumpet, David, um, you know, if, if, if I didn't sound like that, then, you know, well, I'm not going to get a job. 
I mean, if if I could make money, if I could have a career playing only cornet and not trumpet, oh my, I'd do that in a heartbeat, man. Um, you just don't make a lot of money playing just cornet. There's there's people that do it, but not not here in North America. Right. Um. So so it's really fun. It's a beautiful sounding instrument. Um. There's the vibrato aspect of it. Um. You know, if if you've never played in a brass band before, the British band sound is the vibrato, and it's not a, an ornament to the sound. It is part of the sound. So. Um, you know, every, every note is supposed to, supposed to have vibrato, uh, you know, that's obviously up to the band and the style of the vibrato and everything is up to each band, but that is a change that you got to get used to. Um, traditional cornet mouthpieces are significantly deeper than what you would play otherwise. Like if you were playing a Dixieland cornet or like a Clark cornet solo, even, um, you know, it's, it's, it is a different, it's very much deeper, um, the sound is a lot warmer and rounder. Um, you know, there's four solo cornets, sometimes five, and they're all, you know, the solo cornet part is the front row of the band, and those are, like, the hard bits. And so um, you have to really worry about and learn how to how to pace yourself and which role are you playing in the section. Are you sitting first solo cornet or the principal cornet, you know? You're not going to, you know, really mash your face in and, and smash all these technical licks out because you have to play the pretty solos. And if you're you're really beating your face in on all this other stuff and you get to the pretty solo and you're tired uh, and, you know, you fall all over it. Well, that's not that's not quite right. Consequently, sitting second solo cornet because first solo cornet doesn't do that. Second solo cornet, otherwise known as bumper, uh, you know, you're you're the workhorse there. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you've got to do that. But also, you know, you will play some of these other stuff. And sometimes you have pieces where there's four different solo cornet parts or other times you'll have one solo cornet part with uh, four way splits. You ever see four lines all at once or, you know. All on one staff, I should say. You yeah. know, four-way divisi on one staff. That's an art just to read that. Yeah. And I just, oh my, it's so fun. Um, back row cornets, you have the soprano cornet with E-flat cornet, which is sort of like piccolo trumpet um, combined with lead trumpet. Uh, I had this dream that I was going to do that, and I went out and bought a soprano cornet, and I don't like it. I can't do it. <laughs> um so uh, if anybody wants to buy a soprano cornet, let me know. And I'm sort of joking about that. Uh, it's, it's, it, you know, some people, that's what they do and they really love it and they do it well. Uh, I am not one of those people. I have found out that I do not want to be a soprano cornet player. So that's one of those things that I just take, take away from myself. Um, and then you have the repiano cornet, which basically plays like you are second soprano. You, you know, like second trumpet would be in an orchestra. You are that to the soprano. You're, right. you're sort of bridging the solo cornets and the soprano. You're the leader of the back row. You've got to fit underneath the soprano, support them. Um, second cornets is, you know, sort of like a second or a third clarinet part almost. You, you do get some fun stuff in there and you get some different stuff, but that point, your, your sound reinforcement and third cornet. You know, a lot of people say, oh, well, third cornet, that part's not very hard. Those 
those those people have to be really strong players to have a really effective brass band. That those parts can still have a lot of really difficult technical stuff, and you you can't hide back there, man. You gotta you you gotta really put out sound to support everything else that's going on. So, uh, and then the other cool thing about brass banding, like I said, it's all amateur by nature and that's not you know a cut to amateurism it's literally that is the definition you're not doing this for money you're doing it for the love of it and you know some of the best experiences i've had uh recently five lake silver band we you know were all vaccinated in the band which is really cool that we were able to get back uh back together way sooner than some other people were right and we went down to Kentucky for the Great American Brass Band Festival. And, like, any time I've taken a trip with brass band people, one of the best experiences in my life. And I've played in some really awesome groups. I've, I've been to Europe a lot, of, a lot of times for trumpet competitions when I was younger. And, like, nothing beats just the camaraderie and, and getting to play with your friends. And... You know, I'm, I'm blessed to be in a group where everybody is really cool people in addition to sounding great. So, um, and also I have to give a huge shout out to Arkansas Music Works Brass Band. Um, when I played with them, they had existed for a year and we went out and won the U.S. Open Championship. And that trip was super cool. Uh, every time I've gone down there to play with them, it's been great. I just haven't had the opportunity to go down and drive to Arkansas with the world as it is right now. But right. they just actually gave a concert yesterday as of this recording, and I heard some some clips of it. And they're, they're doing really great stuff. Um, going back to the competitive nature of it, yeah, like there's brass band championships and competitions. And some people can get really competitive and mean and nasty, but I would say the majority of brass banding is all about camaraderie and community. Hey, how about there's that <laughs> word again? It's the hang. It's the hang. See, oh, what... it, it, you know, I don't know anybody that can hang harder than brass band guys. Yeah, from... fine. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, David, we have a couple segments we got to get through before we mm. can uh, wrap it up for today. First one is uh, our obligatory nod to the gearhead in us, our geared up segment. Ooh, I know. I can see. I can see the goosebumps <laughs> rising. Um, so, um, you know, let, let's just talk a little bit about about the gear using, and specifically, you know, the the question I want to. The way I want to steer this is, you know, the the whys. You know, not so much the whats, but but yeah, the whys. Yeah. Okay, where to start? Because I have a lot of stuff. The and I'm not just talking about trumpet stuff. Uh, so let's let's go um, on the production side of things. Um, I shoot my video with a Sony A6600, um, and I've got a variety of lenses that I use that with. And uh, why? Uh, for a while I was using my iPhone and, um, if you knew high school cookie, he always had a camera around his neck. And, um, I know I always talk about when I quit trumpet, I'm going to go be uh, a welder. Uh, you know, for me it was, I was going to be either a photographer or a trumpet player. That's what I was going to do. And the deciding factor was the fact that I got into interlocking and that's why I chose trumpet. But, there was actually at that point in my life, I was actually making money off of photography with uh, competitions and stuff I was entering, portraiture, 
yada 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 uh and and i happen to get into interlocking so that's well that's where we're going turns out there's a lot of trumpet players that are phenomenal photographers it's the this thing that just sort of seems to go hand in hand there's a lot of non-trumpet players that are phenomenal photographers as well but seems like when you start getting up there that a lot of a lot of trumpet players also have that as a hobby so uh i recently purchased that camera uh, is a sort of an investment into my production, my video production, and also because I want to get back into photography. And I'm now finally at a point in my life where I can afford a decent camera again. Um, microphones. I record into a Barclay Infinity ribbon microphone. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm really good friends with Mike. Um, I bought, I placed my order in like, of 2020 um he had some supply chain issues and uh my microphone got delivered a couple days after my birthday that was a really cool birthday present so um i fully endorse his microphones uh he's a great dude he makes great stuff uh you know he's a trumpet player he knows how trumpet should sound and for me i've got a lot of different toys um his microphone was way more expensive than his, but uh, you notice I use it for voice, not for trumpet. So, um, you know, just like all your trumpet stuff, you wouldn't play lead stuff on a one and a half C. You wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't record trumpet into this. Um, for for that, you know, that's that's what I choose. And I've actually got a Gen 2 coming in the mail. So hopefully by the time this episode airs, I'll actually have a video out there because Mike isn't making the Gen 1. Um, there's going to be a video out there where I show you the difference between the generation one and the generation two. And, uh, I've, I've heard some side, side by side clips and it's pretty cool. And as soon as my mic comes, I'm going to crank out that video pretty cool. quick. Looking forward to that. Uh, trumpet stuff. Uh, I am sponsored by Van Lar Trumpets and Flugelhorns. They are an amazing company. Uh, really great people. They make great horns. Um, it all started, uh, one of my friends bought one of their horns at ITG in Prince, King of Prussia? Yeah, not Prince of Prussia, King of Prussia. King of Prussia. Uh, the, the, at the casino there. And Hoob said, hey, you know, if you're ever in the area, the factory. And well, later that summer, I happened to be flying through Brussels and ended up taking a trip up to the factory. And I picked up my B-flat trumpet there. Uh, it was one of those instances with all of his horns, actually. It's been, I pick up the thing and everybody in the room stops what they're doing and they're like, oh, that's the one. I'm like, ah, oh, crap, I got to buy this now. <laughs> um, so I have a, a B-flat trumpet that's gold-plated and it's it's amazing. Uh, I absolutely love that horn. Uh, I have a C trumpet that I bought uh, uh, shortly after that. Um you know, that one's amazing. Uh, it's got a lot of hours on it. Um, I have really acidic sweat. Uh, I, I eat through horns really badly. And um, I actually wore a hole in the first valve knuckle going into the bell on that horn. And I had to get a patch on that. And uh, that horn's got a lot of love in it. Uh, last summer, I bought a Van Lar Cornet and um, sort of rounded out the set and you know, I was big into brass banding and I played cornet in the brass bands and that was a really solid investment for me. And then I always thought, you know, I just don't play enough flugelhorn to, to warrant really having a good one. Um, as it turns out, uh, I didn't play enough flugelhorn because I didn't have a good one. <laughs> it's sort of Here cyclical. So uh, earlier last, last year, 
I put in an order for this. Uh, it's a four-valve, low-register flugelhorn. So I can now play from as high as I can play, which we're not going to talk about what my upper limit is because it's always changing. But um, I can play chromatically down to pedal C sharp, which is a half step above double pedal C. So I can actually play lower on the flugelhorn than I can on the bass trumpet. Mm. And I can play it in tune, uh, you know, very solid upper register, um, up to high G, above high C, is usable on that horn. So uh, I have, this will be a good segue. I've got a bunch of other horns there, but uh, Van Lar is the one that I really want to talk about. Mm -hmm. I got a Shilky Piccolo, um, a Getzen bass trumpet. I have a tenor horn because brass banding. Um, Blackburn E flat, it's the best horn I've ever bought. Um, I've wanted to sell it a couple times. I've tried other B E flats. Uh, nothing ever actually comes close to touching it. So that's my why on that horn. I've really tried to get rid of it. It's got this phantom valve issue. Man, that horn hates playing the Haydn trumpet concerto. Everybody, daddy, what um, the only time it'll consistently stick. Second valve coming up there. Mm -hmm. I can do all sorts of trills. I can do Clark studies on it. Whatever, no problem. That spot right there. Horn hates it. It just, no, we don't want to play the Haydn trumpet concerto. Yeah, don't blame it. Um, oh, what else have I got? Um, Vimon, Rotary C trumpet, um, the Y, they're so good. Um, really awesome C trumpet, really awesome Rotary trumpet. I flew, uh, down from Thunder Bay to Chicago, and I was in Chicago less than 12 hours to buy this horn and I, I spent more time on a plane because you have to fly Thunder Bay to Toronto to Chicago instead of going just straight right. north and south um, but yeah that's just such a good horn um, I got that I had another rotary trumpet that had it just it was it's a fantastic horn I really love the horn it just was not the right sound for orchestra auditions and had feedback from a couple auditions that, yeah, you know, it would have been a yes, but your rotary trumpet playing was a no. So, um, mouthpieces, mouthpieces, the exciting thing. Yeah. Um, I have to give a really quick shout out. I was, I was in Montreal and I was having like this, this problem, uh, you know, and I, I could play Shostakovich five. I could play all day, but endurance, short term endurance was was an issue or as chris smith would call it stamina um and i i would be like well yeah I, you know this is a problem and i talked to one of my teachers and they say uh yeah just do more uh flexibility or more lip bends or more long tones you know i was doing all of these things because somebody would tell me to do them and i was a basket case uh, i was spending way too much time on fundamentals and <laughs> it wasn't really helping Finally, uh, Chris Smith says, go see Phyllis Stork. She's in northern Vermont. And go see Phyllis, rent a car, drive down there. What she tells you is the law. You will do it, and it will be good for you. So I went to go see her and um, have a complete and total break. I have a lot of breakdown moments. <laughs> complete and total breakdown in her shop. I've, I've been subbing with the Montreal Symphony, you know, absolutely on top of my game and I'm in her shop and we're back. Okay. This is how you form an embouchure and play a G in the staff. Like, you know, straight up 180. Um, 
because she looked at me and she goes, well, what you're doing, you have five, maybe 10 years left in you and you're not going to be able to play the trumpet anymore just because of how I, and I've got scar tissue. So that actually dictates what I play now. Um, and very, very positive thoughts about the, the storks. I love John and Phyllis. They're fantastic people. They make really great stuff. Um, however, when I bought my Van Lar cornet, it was at the East Coast Trumpets table. Uh, ben Strickland was working with Greg Black, and he handed me this brand new prototype uh, Greg Black UK cornet mouthpiece. And... I loved it, uh, but because of the scar tissue that I was mentioning, uh, it didn't have my rim on it. It wasn't working for me. So I sent a mouthpiece down. They copied the rim and put that on there. And then when I bought my flugelhorn through Greg or through Ben at East Coast Trumpets, uh, I also bought a, a Greg Black flugelhorn mouthpiece as well. So I play those. Um, they just play down the way I want, and I really like it. And then recently I've been working with Doug McVeigh at Venture. Um, ben actually had my mouthpiece, and I saw he had a, a – Doug had a live stream on Facebook with Positive Trumpeters Worldwide, and Ben said something in the chat, and Doug goes, Hey, Ben, I got a gig with you tomorrow. So I quickly sent Ben a message. I'm like, Hey, man, have you shipped my mouthpiece out to me yet? He goes, No, I still got it. I'm like, Okay, bring it to your gig tomorrow. I want Doug to mess with it. So we scanned it in, and he he sent me this really cool write-up of, Okay, what you play is weird, but here's why it's weird. <laughs> um, and it was, you know, it the mouthpiece, it was something that Phyllis set me up with and it was for a specific purpose. It was to address something with this. And I've, uh, you know, I had outgrown mm -hmm. that I I've, I've grown past that and you know, nothing against the storks. Um, they're just 700 miles away and it's been a pandemic. So I sort of went a different Avenue. Yeah. Um, it's hard to drive to Vermont in the middle of not going through Canada and it, it's a significantly longer drive not to go through Canada. Yeah. But, um, so Doug and I worked on a mouthpiece, um, scanned it in. I had some ideas about what to do. We we came up with three prototype tops, three prototype backboards, and quickly eliminated it down to one combination that worked. And and thus born was the Cookie Double C, the Cookie which Double is C, not a commercial mouthpiece at all. Uh, we went with some really bizarre naming schemes. Uh, uh, Doug loves it. I love it. I love telling people I play the dub of C and then like, you know, go play Petrushka and it sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> um, we came up with a rotary mouthpiece actually out of that same batch of prototypes. One combination happened to work really well on rotary. Um, we just designed a mouthpiece and it's out for plating right now. It's called the big boy. G-B-O-I, again with the crazy naming scheme. And it's a flugelhorn mouthpiece, but it's got a tenor horn rim on it for for really accessing that fourth valve all the way down to double pedal C. Mm -hmm. um, you know, basically a bass trumpet mouthpiece for flugelhorn. Nice. And just this morning, I picked out a lead mouthpiece from the lead kit, L-E-D-E, and uh, this morning was a total face beatdown, and I like, I've never been that kind of player. But this mouthpiece, it works, man. It you should check it out. Um, it's ridiculous. I've never been that consistent, that kind of sound. Like when I say that kind of sound, like I'm not talking like actual. Like I don't sound like Wayne Bergeron. That's not not right now. Not gonna happen. But um, the 
I've never experienced where I can actually let the mouthpiece do the work and back off because of what I've played. And Doug, he's helped me out with that. So I'm really excited about that and um, the stuff that's coming out from that recording session. So that'll be really cool. Very nice. Looking forward to hearing some uh, some A-B comparisons there. Yeah, man. And so, I can talk about gear all day long, so I think that's a good yeah, stop. That's a good <laughs> stopping point. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to go to our final segment. This is brought to us by good friends at Robinson's Remedy, Remedies. Can't even say it right now. Robinson's Remedies, Robinson's Remedies, rapid fire around. And I know that you've been practicing for this cookie. I've been studying. You have been studying. You know, I, I almost came up with a whole new bunch of questions just for you, Ooh. just to throw you off. <laughs> but... Uh, but yeah, we'll make this like a, a standard audition here. <laughs> all right. So here we go, Cookie. You know the deal. A series of questions all over the place. Need your fastest yep. response. And if you get everything right, you get a special prize. Ooh. Yeah, I lied. Um, <laughs> so here we go. First question for you. Who's the biggest influence on your life that's not a trumpet player? I would say my brother. All right. What's your favorite book? Oh man, I forgot this one. Uh, <laughs> um, stumped. Um, I would say outside of trumpet, let's go with. Oh gosh, I forget what the name is. Um, it's by Lenny Bassham. He's a uh, an Olympic shooter, and he talks about the uh, the subconscious, the conscious, and the ego. How all three of those with winning in mind by Lenny Bassham. That's what it is. With and winning in mind, I have to check that out. That sounds interesting. Oh, it's great. Um, and. I'll, I'll just quickly go on this. Uh, the whole concept of the book is basically he's an Olympic shooter and um, the whole book can be summed up by he had a, a match where he scored a 98 out of 100. So 10 shots, each one marked one to 10. And somebody asked him, well, why did you get a nine on those two shots? And his response was, why are you asking about the two nines when you should be asking about the eight tens that I got? And how did I do that? So, you know, it's a really cool book. Yeah. Um, really helpful. I have to check that one out. That sounds like something I would enjoy reading. All right. What's the worst movie you've ever seen? Drive Hard with John Cusack. Mm. <laughs> no hesitation. Zero hesitation on that one. All right. Uh, if you weren't a trumpet player, what would you want to be? Well, I've said it before, a welder, but a photographer. Photographer. Trumpet maker, mouthpiece maker. I don't... How about a photographer who only takes pictures of welding? You know, there's a lot of Instagram accounts for that that person, so... How about a welder who only works on cameras? Uh, I don't think that would work out very well. I'm trying to be creative here. All right. Uh, What's your favorite drink? Water. Um, you know, I, you know, obviously I'm not skinny. Um, in the past I would have said like Dr. Pepper or something. Um, but we're working on it and, um, we've got a reverse osmosis unit here at home. Oh, nothing like that, man. Oh, it's like, you know, like they say in Waterboy, good, clean H2O. I mean like this stuff, this, nothing comes close to it. You can do it. <laughs> All right. Uh, speaking of, you could do it. You could have a dinner party. Invite any three living people. Who would they be? Barack Obama's Mike. not allowed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Mike Barkley, because uh, I love that dude, but I've never met him. Okay, and I'd really love to. Uh, Doug McVeigh, for very similar reasons. Yeah. 
and John Kaplan. Uh, John and I have known each other for well over 10 years, and we have never met in person. And in addition to like me just getting to meet those guys, uh, I think that would be a really awesome hang, the three of us. All right. Sounds good. Uh, same gender party. Any three living people, or not living, any three people from history? Yep. Oh, gosh. Um, that's a good question. Maynard, Maurice Andre, and Morris Murphy. Ooh, man. Good combination there. All right. Uh, lacquer plated or raw? Uh, gold plated or palladium plated. Um, not silver plated because I just can't. I can't. My hands kill it way too quick. Uh, yeah. Gold plating holds up well. Palladium plated, uh, that horn is um, it's holding up really well so far. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of lacquer, so yeah. I would say raw, but my hands eat through that too. Yeah. I, I'm not built for playing a trumpet for very long. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I, I used to have a palladium plated horn, and it was beautiful, beautiful. Horn. Oh, it's it's so nice. A shot blasted palladium. Mm-hmm. Yeah, gorgeous horn. Gorgeous. Uh, all right. What's your favorite quote? Be the change you want to see in the world, and I know that's, you know, super cliche, but like, it it, it is. You know, it's the truth. You want. If you wanna, if you wanna change something in the world, you gotta do it, man. Yeah, it's got to start somewhere and starts with you. All right, what is your greatest fear? Uh, well, heights are a thing. Um, shots. I don't know. Like taking um, shots or getting shots? Getting shots. Oh, okay. Um, I I I can sort of manage now. Um, the COVID vaccine was like one of those things is like, well, I hate this, but if it means I can go back to work, I'll deal with it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. All right. Uh, you could be granted one superpower. What would it be? Time, time stoppage. Time stoppage. I could have as much time in the world as I need for whatever I want to do. Time management right there. That'd be your, that'd be your superhero name. The time manager. That or teleportation. If I could like go to any gig anywhere, I, that. But if if it's time stoppage, I could get anywhere and be there. See. Yeah, yeah. I see. I see. Okay. <laughs> I just uh, suddenly I had this image of the time manager. He's he's like this guy with a <laughs> with a, a big clock, you know, on his symbol here. But he's also got like a a tie and a little uh, you know, <laughs> a pocket like, protector. Yeah, pocket protector. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> a little, you know. A little, duct tape there on the the nose of the glasses all right um you're uh able uh no no let's go back uh uh, what aspect of trumpet playing do you feel is the most overrated most overrated breathing okay that's we've been doing it all our lives oh that's a very good point very good point uh what aspect do you think is the most underrated Playing, making a tone, you know, really sound. Sound. I feel like so many people go through education, be, you know, middle school, high school, whatever, even into the collegiate level. And, you know, sound never gets addressed. That's literally what differentiates you from literally any other trumpet. I said literally twice, but it's what differentiates you from everybody else. So you need to work on it. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, 
You able to go back in time, give your younger self one piece of advice about music, what would it be? Know your worth and don't settle for anything less than what you deserve. All right. And what's the advice you'd give yourself about life? <laughs> well, it would be the same. It'd be the but, same. But, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, there's always going to be opportunities available what you make. Okay, cool. Final question for Cookie. Drum roll, please. What do you want your legacy to be? Wherever I went, I made a lasting improvement. Mm. That's a good Meaning one. Meaning like with, with people and relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you're talking about being the change, you know. That's what it means, man. You know, making that difference. So, Cookie, David, whatever we're going to call you today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I appreciate your time. Uh, yeah, it's been Likewise. great getting to know you. And, uh, yeah, we, we had, uh, we had some, some, some running conversations, uh, via Facebook messenger <laughs> and it's like, okay, <laughs> this is going to be a good hang. So, <laughs> um, I, I was so excited for this, man. This is going to be great. Oh, I, I, well, it was great. It's not yeah. going to be, it happened. <laughs> yes, it has happened. And so, uh, but, but thanks, thanks again, really. And, and there's, and thanks for being real with me, you know, and, yeah. and sharing, sharing some stuff. And, and I know, uh, a lot of times sharing that stuff isn't easy, but you know, it, it makes, speaking from experience, it, it makes makes you feel better, and it makes you better because you're helping other people to feel better and to be better. So, you know, absolutely, you're doing a thing. So keep building the community. And speaking of community, thank you very much for joining our Trumpet Guru's Hand community. And make sure that you're liking and subscribing and sharing these episodes and support all of our. Uh, guest and especially support cookie because you know he he needs he needs a little love these days um but who doesn't uh <laughs> but so so go to his uh go to his uh youtube page and uh make sure you subscribe to that uh keep on top of those uh those videos he's doing um uh, if you're interested in doing the trumpet trumpet multi track competition uh keep an eye out for that to see what's coming up uh in the future and yeah just in general uh stay stay hip with uh cookie because he's he's pretty happening dude he's a pretty happening dude i have to have to give it to him so thanks man yeah i'm looking forward to to uh having a hang in real life with some reverse osmosis cocktails oh my gosh yes can't wait till not huge tv guy but uh Next year is going to be epic. Yes. Very good. That's what we that's what we want to hear. All right, so thanks for joining us on this episode of Jumper Grooves Hanging as always. Peace and slide grease. We out. Thanks for hanging with us today. This podcast is all about creating deeper connections through our mutual love of music and the trumpet life. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast and also like and share this episode with a friend. We want to see the hang grow for show. Please support our sponsors and consider becoming a personal supporter of this podcast as well. Remember, for less than the price of a bottle of olive oil a month, you can keep this podcast moving smoothly. The Trumpet Guru's Hang is recorded at the Candy Factory, a co-working space and social club located in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Jose Johnson is the executive producer. Post-production editing is by Mitch Bowers. Our opening theme song was composed and performed by Lexi Signal. And our closing theme music comes courtesy of The Greatest Funeral Ever. Incidental music is by Ethan Swayze and Jose Johnson. Graphic design by Ann Kirby of the Sweet Corps. 
The Trumpet Guru's Hang podcast is produced in collaboration with the So Good Lancaster Media Group. 